Thanks for checking out this episode of the Christ Alone podcast. What we'll be listening to today is a, a sermon I preached uh, several years ago, and I've decided to pull them out of the closet and share them here for my Christ Alone audience. The series that I'm sharing here is called uh, Seven Sayings from the Cross. It's based on the seven last words or sayings of Jesus as he hung on the cross, Good Friday. So, as always, thanks for listening to the Christ Alone podcast. If you would like any more information on the gospel, if you have any questions, or like to comment any further on the content of the Christ Alone podcast, please get a hold of me. I would love to hear any feedback. And about the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Dolacek, D-O-L-E-C-H-E-C-K. Or if you've found this podcast some other way, the podcast feed is christalone.podbean.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So without any further ado, here is the sermon from the series Seven Sayings from the Cross. Father, we just invite your spirit in this place this morning to do its work in our hearts. We want to be a people that are just filled with awe of, of who you are. You are in an amazing, awesome, powerful, just unbelievingly strong and mighty God. And I, I want to this morning worship at the foot of the cross. I want to worship you for who you are. And so I just pray that you would open our eyes to see you clearly this morning, that we might gaze upon your work on the cross for us and rejoice. My prayer is that this whole service would be worship. God, I want to worship during the preaching of the word. I want to worship as we go into time of song. I want to worship God as we pray throughout the whole service, God, that we might look to you and worship and rejoice in who you are and what you have done for us. To be speaking in this place, I know that no amount of words do any good unless your spirit is working in the hearts. And so my prayer is that you would be working in our hearts. Breathe in this place that we might see you more clearly, that we might rejoice in who you are and what you've done. God, have your way in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 46. The seven last words of Christ from the cross is the series we've kind of been going through. We are in the fourth word, so we got we're at the half point. We've done three, we've got three to go, and today's your half point in the seven last words of the Savior from the cross. Very powerful, strong word here. We've kind of gone through some interesting ones like last week or last month of behold your son and, and woman behold your son and son behold your mother. We had to kind of dig on this one. This one I had to just, I had to scale back the nine million things that I'd like to say about this text because this is such a profound and overwhelming truth and just there's so much in this. We're just going to take and just try to spend as, as concise amount of time on it as we can, but I just encourage you to meditate and think on this. You could spend a lot of time contemplating these words of Jesus. We'll read some, for some context here, starting in verse 45 in the Gospel of St. Matthew, 27th chapter. Verse 45, Now from the sixth hour, 
there was darkness over the, all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, he, this man is calling Elijah. One of them once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The only word that uh, Matthew and Mark um, record from the cross is this one here. We know there's some more coming from other Gospels, but this is the only word that Matthew and Mark, the pinnacle probably of the sayings, that they felt this word needs to be heard. And, and so they, they lay this one out in their Gospel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you flip over to Psalm 22, you see what Jesus is really doing there on the cross. He's quoting Scripture, which is which is just a word of you know an, an interesting um, word there for you as well. In the midst of his crucifixion, in the midst of his stress, in the midst of his trial, Jesus turns to Scripture. He's got Scripture memorized. He's hanging on the cross. He isn't asking for his scroll. So I can remember, where's that passage at? And God to get the concordance out so I can find where that psalm is. He's got this committed to memory. Probably knows this is coming for him. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 5 or so. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Yes. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. So, Jesus is quoting this psalm here. Some people think that He quotes the entire psalm maybe from the cross. We don't know that for sure. But there He's going to Scripture. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Why have you forsaken me? And my goal here this morning is just worship. I want to provoke in us worship. I, I want to, the, the text that we're dealing with here is holy ground. And the Bible, not that you read parts of the Bible that aren't holy, that one's disposable. I'm not saying that. But the mystery of what we're dealing with here is way beyond our comprehension. The, the, the idea of Christ as a member of the Trinity and we hold very strongly to the idea of the Trinity, that God is one God in three persons. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All equally God, all distinct and different, but God. And so you have that this Trinity's existed since eternity past. That when um, earth was created and when man was created, um, they had counsel, let us make man in our image. And so the Trinity is there. And somehow on the cross, we find a member of the Trinity forsaken. I don't get that. And I'm not going to explain it to you this morning what that means. So what I want to do is I want to just stand on the shore of this ocean and worship. And you've all had that experience, I assume, or maybe you haven't at the ocean, but you know, you walk up to the ocean, you're standing on the shore and you look out and you just, you, you kind of get what the ocean's about, right? I mean, you kind of get, it's a big body of water that has big waves and um, is very dangerous at times but also very serene if you get the right kind of ocean that you're looking at. So we all kind of get it, but can you really say you really get the ocean? 
I mean, can you really say that you look at that and I fully understand the moon and the lunar cycle and how that affects the tides and what a nor'easter is and how the, the moon and when it's as close as it can be and it's, and how it really messes up, you know, all these things about the ocean and how the rotation of the earth actually affects the, I mean, and the ocean affects the rotation of the earth from the friction. Do you all understand? I mean, maybe I'm the only one that idiot that doesn't get everything about the oceans. But there's a lot about it you don't get. But you can stand at the ocean and you can get enough of it that you know this is something that's so beyond me that it can't help but affect you. When you think about the ocean, you go and look at it and you walk away and you go have supper somewhere, Hiram's or wherever. You go have your supper. You don't hear the ocean. And you go to bed at night and if you have your door shut, you don't hear the ocean anymore. And as far as you know, nothing exists but you and your bed. But that ocean continually, continually, continually. As we stand here, we have no real active concept. We don't hear the ocean but you know, right now, that ocean is just continuing to beat the shore. And you, you, you can't, it's tough to fully understand it. You may not fully comprehend it, but you can truly comprehend it enough to be amazed by it. I look up, I love astronomy, and I, I don't get it, but I, I love to think about it. Just, and you ever gaze up at the stars, and sometimes I, I gaze at those stars, and you realize that a large percentage of those stars are actually brighter than our sun. And I, I mean, our sun's so bright. But you think about our sun is a mediocre star. Really. It's just average. There's nothing fancy about it. And that a lot of those stars that are out there are actually brighter than our sun. They're just so far away that they look like little dots of light. That I don't understand that. How, how that star can be that far away that it's brighter than my sun, but it's just a barely a spot of light. I can't fully comprehend the infinity of space, but I can get it enough. I can understand it truly enough that I can look into the heavens and, and be changed by it. And so that's what I'm trying to get us this morning is that when we, is to just stand at the shore of the grace and the mercy of God and, and worship. You may not be able to fully comprehend, um, when we view the cross and the forsaking of the righteous Son of God, we may not fully comprehend what it means, but we can truly comprehend it. We can. We may not know it fully, but we can know it truly. And the, 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 one of the doctrines of the clarity of Scripture is not that you understand everything in Scripture fully, but that you can understand it truly. And so when we come to this statement, and this, I mean, I'm saying all these, I could just, I could go on and on about how many things, what this is lined up in this. But what I want to do is just bring us to the shore. I want you to come with me to the shore of the ocean, of the mystery of what God has done here on the cross. The forsaking of the righteous Son of God. And maybe not fully getting it, but truly getting it enough that you'd walk away and are not the same. What we see from this word, I mean, and just to lay all my cards out, here's my clear truth. Here, in case you tune me out now because I've already talked too much. Here's the clear truth before you go somewhere else. Here's the clear truth I want you to get and I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes on. We see the forsaking that we deserve being fully and terribly put on Christ on the cross. We see in this in this word of Jesus from the cross, we see the forsaking that we deserve fully and terribly put on Christ on the cross. You won't fully comprehend that, but you can truly comprehend that. You can truly know this. 
that on the cross, when Jesus cries out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? What you're seeing there is the forsaking that you deserve being fully and terribly put on Christ on the cross. Why care about being forsaken? Why care about being forsaken? We know, and you live in the same culture that I do, that there are a lot of people that are living with no concept of care about God, no concept of care about Jesus Christ, no concept of um, religious activity. You know lots of even civic-minded people who um, who do good things, but really have no regard for, for God, and especially for the Christian, the God of the Bible, the Christian God. They have no regard, and they, they appear to be getting along just fine. So why care so much about being forsaken? Many people live, I mean, we have the civic-minded people, the good people, which is what our community really is largely full of, people who you would say are decent people, but they're not really caring about their standing with God. And then you have um, blatant people who are just an active rebellion against God who would, who would have horrible things to say about the concept of a higher power, and yet they live with no remorse. Thank you. They live with no idea of, no remorse, no um, concern whatsoever. And I want to let, they misunderstand because they don't have eyes to see. When you're spiritually dead, you have no ideas, to, no eyes to see and to care about the idea of being spiritually dead because you're dead. But if you ask a born-again believer, if you ask someone who is regenerate about their concern about being forsaken by God, you'll find someone who's had their eyes open, we'll use Bible language, someone who's had their eyes open to the spiritual life that is found in God, you'll find people who are terrified of the thought of not being with God. Jesus, um, let's, let's, Matthew 25, 41. To be forsaken, according to Christ here, and this is a parable of the, of the sorting out, or this is the story of the final judgment. He's got sheep and goats, and he's gonna, he's gonna separate them out, and this is the word that the goats get, that they're gonna be forsaken, and he says to those who are on his left, the goats, he says, depart from me. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil, and His angels. Depart from Me. The curse that they're going to get is that they're going to have to depart from Christ. The forsaking that they're going to receive is that you have to depart from the loving presence of the of, of Creator God. They're being forced to depart. Second Thessalonians 1, 8-10 says basically kind of along the same lines. Second Thessalonians 1, 8-10 starting in the middle of verse 8 says that... Uh, those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And where is that? Away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When we kind of get an understanding of what that is when we have a loved one die. That when they die, what that means is you're not with them anymore. You, their, their presence is gone from you. And we're all grieved by that. You are, right? I mean, if you're not, something's, you're a sociopath. They're, everyone's grieved when you lose someone that you're connected to here. And because what that means is for the rest of your life, um, you're not, you don't have that connection with them. And so we, we understand in a small frame, a small way, what that forsaking means. But to have that kind of rip happen between you and Creator God, is unfathomable. The terror that it is. Christ, 
knows God from eternity past, is one with God, is God from eternity past, and is suffering a forsaking. Um, what If you think about the life of Christ, what scared Christ? I mean, this guy went through everything, right? He's in the middle of a storm on a boat, and every disciple is flipping out because their boat's going to sink and they're all going to die. And where is Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat because he doesn't really care. He, he's, he's not concerned. The guy faces mobs. Guys take up stones to stone him, and then he like gives him kind of like stumps him with this weird question, and then just walks out and just walks out through him. They can't figure out where he went to. He just kind of. But I mean, most of us, if you watch the riots, modern day riots, and you see them single out somebody, you don't want to be in that position. It scares you. Jesus just throws him a trick question, kind of, and walks out. Um, what scared Christ? These things didn't scare him. But when he gets to Gethsemane. When he gets to the Mount of Olives and prays, um, God, let this cup pass from me. And he sweats drops of blood because he knows what's coming. And what's coming is the forsaking of God. And that, that upset Jesus. That upset Jesus. All these things that we would very easily get upset about, Jesus didn't care much about. But when it came to a forsaking the forsaking that he was going to receive, that upset him. See how messed up we are today's society? We are all scared of all these things. Mobs and not having enough food to eat. He's like, I don't, not enough food to eat. Give me your sardines and your crackers and we'll feed the world. You know, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. We're concerned. We want to pay taxes? Go fishing. We'll feed from the coin in a fish's mouth. Those things don't bother him. But when it came to the forsaking of God, it was, it was a weight that he, it just, that just held Heavy upon him. And in today's culture, we worry about all these silly things and act like the forsaking of God is no big deal. That's backwards. It's backwards. That is, there is nothing more terrible than to suffer separation from God and to participate in His wrath. To participate in the wrath that you deserve. And without Christ, that's what you get. Without Christ, that's what you get. We've got to move on. What causes what causes forsaking? And we got too many scriptures to go through there. What causes forsaking? So, why care about being forsaken? It's the, it's the, there's nothing more terrible than to be forsaken by God. To be cast out of His presence for eternity, there's nothing more terrible, nothing scares Jesus than the thought of those hours of being forsaken by God. What causes forsaking? The short answer, sin causes the forsaking of God. Which, I'll have to say, puts all of us in a very bad spot. It puts all of us in a very bad spot. Because even the most perfect of us knows that there's times that they have not done, that they have not done what is right. Our, um, sin causes wrath and judgment. I don't need, we can go through the list of all kinds of things. We can go to Adam and Eve, the first sinners that they sin into the world. And what happened? Judgment. Forsaken. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. We have Noah in the flood and the world rebelled against God. And what happens is that God wipes out the earth except for Noah and his family. Separation from God. We've got, we could go the plagues in Egypt and we can go Sodom and Gomorrah. That sin brings the judgment of God. Sin brings the judgment of God. Sin brings the forsaking of God. Sin, most of the Pharaoh God, they go through the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his armies go through the Red Sea and what happens? The Red Sea closes over them. And because of their sin and their rebellion against God, what happens? They're forsaken by God and judgment comes upon them. When when Joshua invades Canaan, 
when He invades the promised land and judgment comes on places like Jericho, that the walls come down and they wipe out every person in there. It isn't, well, those were good people. It was just because they are people that were in sin and rebellion against God. And sin, rebellion against God gets you judgment. Gets you forsaken by God. God is a just God. God is a just God. We did a, had a, 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 just a great panel talking about hell at a Gospel Coalition in Chicago. And one of the guys was saying that you, you can't hold up the love of God as, as though it's an antithesis to all the other attributes of God. Like as though the love of God is in contradiction with the justness, justice of God. And they both are equal attributes in the nature and character of God. In our culture today, we can't imagine the idea of just, of a just God. We see God as so loving that there's no way that He would ever enact justice until an injustice happens to you. Until then you change your tune. And this guy, Michael O, I think was his name, thought he had a Confucius grandfather, wasn't a believer, but he had no trouble with the idea of a just God. He had gone through so much suffering in his life. He had gone through such uh, an oppressive um, government that he had no trouble with the idea of God being a just God. It didn't make sense for him to God not to be a just God. Someone needs to pay for the atrocities that had happened to him. What he couldn't comprehend was that God's a loving God. That blew his mind. And what we have in the Christian faith is that God is a loving God and that God is a just God. Hebrews or Habakkuk 1.3 says that God is... He can't even look upon sin. He can't even look upon sin. Deuteronomy 32.4 talks about that God is right and just. God is right and He is just. And since God is right and just, He must punish sin. God is right and just. He must punish sin. If God is right, but He doesn't, but he doesn't punish sin, then He isn't just. Then He isn't just. And God is right and just. God intensely hates all sin and His wrath is against it. And wrath isn't just an Old Testament concept. Wrath isn't just, oh, that was the God of the Old Testament. He was an angry God. If we go to Romans 1.8, we'll just look at one of these because we don't have time for the rest of them. But, I mean, you, wrath is all over the New Testament Scripture. These are just a few of the places. Colossians 3.6 is in these lists of things that put to death therefore what is ever among you. And it says, because of all these things, the wrath of God is coming. Is what Colossians 3.6 talks about. Romans 1.8 says this. It says, um, that's not right, is it? It must be 18. Yes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. What is against ungodliness and unrighteousness? The wrath of God. God is a just God. He must punish sin. So then what causes forsaking? My question is, what's wrong with forsaking? It's the worst thing there could be. What causes forsaking sin? And so the long answer to that question is, what causes forsaking? You do. You do. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. You're in that word all. And so when we talk about what causes forsaking, you just have to get a mirror. You're what causes forsaking. You're a sinner. And in Adam we all sinned, and then we inherited that sin nature, and we uh, sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And that we have inherited a sin nature, and we've also walked out and we've chosen sin. And so who, what causes forsaking? You do. You cause forsaking. 
Last question, what would cause the forsaking of Christ? So if forsaking is the worst thing that could happen, and we know that what causes forsaking is sin, why would forsaking happen to Christ? Why would forsaking happen to Christ? We know clearly from Scripture, Pilate himself, I put this down, Pilate found no fault in Christ. Nothing in Christ caused his forsaking. Why does Christ from the cross say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no reason for Christ to suffer the forsaking of God. Nothing in Christ, if sin causes the forsaking of God, right? We cover this. Then there's nothing in Christ. Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. Even Pilate, the secular judge, says this guy's done nothing wrong. What causes the forsaking of Christ? This means that when Christ cried out in agony, why have you forsaken me? It was your forsaking that He was suffering. When Christ cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't His own forsaking that He was suffering. It was your, it was your forsaking that He was suffering for you in your place. I want you to stand and gaze at this ocean with me and worship. That when Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't because He deserved to be forsaken. It was because on the cross, what the cross is all about is Christ suffering what we deserve and taking it upon Himself. Why? Christ cried out in agony, why have you forsaken me? It was your forsaking. It was your forsaking that he was suffering. Second Corinthians, or second, yeah, Corinthians 5.21. You should have this underlined in your Bible, memorized, committed to memory, meditated upon over and over and over again. Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin. God, Christ knew no sin. There was no forsaking that he deserved. But God made him who knew no sin, that is Christ, to be what? Sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 3.26, right after that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says this about God. says that um, the reason why cross went to, Christ went to the cross was to show God's righteousness because God had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that God might be just, He remains just, and the justifier of those, of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is, remains just by punishing and forsaking someone for the forsaking that you deserved. And He's the justifier of those who put faith in Christ because the forsaking doesn't go to you. If you place faith in Christ, if you repent of your sins and look to Christ, your first, the forsaking that you deserve doesn't go to you anymore. It's been poured out on Christ on the cross. That's why you hear this morning Christ crying out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? That was for you. That forsaking was for you if we look to Christ and trust His um, absorbing the wrath that we deserve. Lastly, first, last Scripture. First Peter. Chapter 2. Last Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22-25 through 25 says like this, He committed no sin. The Bible says repeatedly, Christ was perfect, had done no sin, deserved no forsaking. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore whose sins? He himself bore our sins, your sins, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strain like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God is holy and cannot stand the sight of sin. God is holy and cannot stand the sight of sin. God is just and will judge and punish sin where it is found. God is loving and merciful. And in Christ has found a way to remain holy and just and the justifier of those who will put faith in Christ according to Romans 3.26. I want to stand and worship at that shoreline. Um, this is the ocean of His grace. My call is to come and worship at the ocean of the grace of God. That the forsaking that I deserved was laid upon Christ so that God might be at the same time just and the justifier of those who would put faith in Christ. The truth is, you either put faith in Christ for taking your forsaking I didn't mean to rhyme that. But you either put faith in Christ for taking the forsaking that you deserve or you bear the forsaking yourself. Or you bear the forsaking yourself. And my call to all of us this morning is to put faith in Christ and in His work on the cross that took your forsaking so that in Christ you could be set right and might be justified. And that's my call to unbelievers that might be listening or wherever they might be. Look to Christ and be justified, and have your forsaking be put upon Him. My call to believers is look to Christ. My call to believers who already know this truth is to gaze again and again and again and again at the ocean of this grace. The farther that you walk away from this ocean of truth, the more bitter you become. The farther you walk away from this ocean of truth, the more graceless you become. Have trouble giving grace? You need to go back and gaze at the ocean again. You need to go back and gaze at the ocean of the grace and mercy of God. You have trouble loving your neighbor. You need to walk back to the shore of the ocean of the grace of God again and remember that the forsaking that I deserve was laid on another for me. That I might not be forsaken, but adopted as a son. Come with me and worship at the ocean of the grace and the magnitude of what God has done in taking the forsaking that we deserve putting it on another in our place. In my place, condemned he stood that I might be justified and made right and have fellowship adopted as a son with not forsaken and condemned separation forever, but communion forever with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the forsaking that Christ did not earn, but that I did, the judgment that Christ did not earn, but that I did. The wrath that Christ did not deserve, but I did, was put on Him for my sake. That You made Him who knew no sin to be sin for me, so that in Him, by faith in Him, I might be made the righteousness of God. I might be set right. I might have fellowship with You once again. And God, I want to just stand at the shore of that ocean. And I don't fully comprehend it. I... It's, it's mind-boggling. 
But God, my prayer is that every person in this room this morning would know it truly. Would know it truly. Christ died that you might be set right. Christ took your forsaking so that you might have fellowship. So that we might have fellowship. And God, I want to come and worship at the ocean of your grace. The truth that's beyond my comprehension yet is still true. Have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name.